Hey, this is Phil Diaz. I'm the pastor at Greencastle Church of the Nazarene, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's my prayer that God would use this podcast to speak to your life right where you're at. I pray it also builds your faith and helps give you perspective on how God can work, move, and transform your life. Enjoy the message. I was reading a couple of things, a little humorous notes. One was, uh, did you know Daniel Boone's brothers were all famous doctors? Well, they were. Don't tell me you never heard of the Boondocks. (laughs) Some of us live there. Old bookkeepers never die. They just lose their balance. (laughs) Corny. Mark Twain was once asked the difference between a mistake and a blunder. He explained it this way. He said, if you walk into a restaurant and you walk out with someone else's silk umbrella, you leave your own cotton one there. That's a mistake, he said. But if you pick up someone else's cotton umbrella and leave your own silk one, that's a blunder. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Acts chapter 2, and I love this portion of Scripture. This was the beginning of the church, actually. On the day of Pentecost, that was how it all started. And uh, it was a wonderful day. Would you like to stand as we read this word? And we have an open mind. As I said, we've all read it, but there's always something new we can learn from a Scripture. Because God reveals things in different ways to each of us, to different people. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from everywhere, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Think about it. They were utterly amazed and they asked, aren't these all, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans and yet we hear it in our native tongue? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Here's the list of all the people who are there, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. All of us from all over the world, the known world at that time, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much to drink, too much wine. 
Our Father, we pray the a blessing upon the reading of your word. As I said, it's easy to say, well, we have read that before. We know it from beginning to end. And there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. And so we don't have to listen too much or pay much attention to the scriptures. But Father, help us to have new light, fresh light, fresh wind, fresh fire from the Holy Spirit. I pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Over a hundred years ago or so, a committee was coming together, a committee of pastors, and they were talking about having a revival, a, a citywide crusade. And uh, one young pastor uh, they were talking about inviting D.L. Moody to come. Now, this is a little before your time. D.L. Moody was a great speaker. Probably in the, he was in the cut of Billy Graham, only a little early. Right, Moody. So they were talking about having him come, and one, one young pastor stood up and said, we, I, I don't want us to have him. Why Moody? He said. Does he have a, a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And for a few moments they sat quietly and finally one pastor spoke up and he said, no, Mr. Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on him. You see, to be filled with the Spirit means that God has a monopoly on us. He has your time, your talent, your treasures. He has your past, your present, your future. He has everything because you have offered him everything. And that's what we call complete consecration when we give everything to God. And when we do that, God's response to us is that he gives us the Holy Spirit. Uh, he gives us himself. We talk about Jesus and we talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about God. You can't separate them. They are three in one. And so he wants to give us himself. That's what sanctification is. A second definite work of grace, we call it, in the Nazarene church. And it occurs almost simultaneously, well, it does occur simultaneously when a believer gives his all to God. When we consecrate ourselves, he gives us himself. But the question today I want you to think with me about is how can you tell if a person is indeed filled with the Holy Spirit and that they've been entirely sanctified. And I think for our answer, the best thing to do is look at God's Word. Look at the Scripture. In that Scripture that we read, it happened on the day of Pentecost. And God gave some definite signs that the Holy Spirit had infilled the people there. And so let's look for those three signs, three definite signs that help us Understand what happens when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that first sign was the sound of wind. The sound of wind. Suddenly, the scripture says, there came a sound from heaven. I think it says in the King James, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, wind is an Old Testament symbol of power. Power. Uh, Jesus said, 
before he went back to heaven, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he said, you will receive power so that you may become witnesses. We need power to be witnesses, okay? And he said, not only will you be witnesses, but you'll be witnesses all over the place, Judea and to the ends of the earth, Samaria. We know the wind comes sometimes as a refreshing, gentle breeze. Yesterday, Jeannie and I went out on the porch and she fixed a cup of coffee for us and, and we we're going to enjoy the weather. It's a little bit warmer, but there was a gentle breeze yesterday and it was a little bit cool. And we didn't stay out there too long because she's not feeling well anyway. It was a gentle breeze, but it was a little cool. And so it is with the power of the Holy Spirit. It can come as a gentle breeze or a wind, a mighty wind like a hurricane force. I thought about the Ian hurricane a few weeks ago. 195 miles an hour. That's a pretty strong wind. Amen. The Holy Spirit can come as a gentle breeze or a hurricane force breeze. But he may come in some dramatic way. But all believers receive the power when the Holy Spirit fills them. And the power is to do what God wants us to do. He doesn't just give us power so we can say, I've got power. But he gives us power to do something. And enabling power. Amen. And then the second sign that we see there is the power or the evidence of sight. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, it says in the King James. Cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. So they saw with their eyes, it looked like fire on people's heads, on their bodies that day. Now fire in the Old Testament is frequently used as a, a symbol of purity. Purity. And that's exactly what happens when you're sanctified when you're filled by when you're filled with the Holy Spirit the heart is purified of selfishness and it's replaced with God's pure love a work that the only the Holy Spirit can perform God said or Jesus said himself we're to love our neighbors as ourselves well you can't do that all the time without the Holy Spirit but it takes the Holy Spirit to enable us to have the power to love people Sometimes our neighbors are pretty unlovable, aren't they? But with the Holy Spirit, we can love them. Pastor Robert G. Lee wrote about a homeless little boy who'd been wandering the streets of the, uh, one of America's major cities, and one day a Christian couple found him. They took him home with them, and they gave him a good scrubbing, and they clothed him in a handsome new suit. And the boy had never been so clean or looked so good before. So he stood in front of the mirror and looked at himself for a long time and admired his new clothes. Later, the, the mother got him ready for bed. She gave him new pajamas or clean pajamas. And, and uh, she taught him this little prayer that all of us have taught our children most likely. Now I lay me down to sleep. Asleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Half asleep, he murmured, murmured after her, Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my clothes to keep. <laughs> she was surprised and she gently corrected him. 
But he repeated his request as before. I pray the Lord my clothes to keep. Just as that little boy wanted his clothes to remain clean and safe. So we can ask God to keep our outer lives, our outer garments unspotted in a world that's contaminated on every side by sin. See, God by his Holy Spirit can enable us to avoid or overcome things that would soil our clothes, spiritually speaking now, that would defile us. And then if we do, remember the Bible says if you sin, which we can sin, we don't have to, but if we do sin, if we'll confess instantly and have a moment by moment confession with the Father, we can have forgiveness. If you'll confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us. So we can't have a clean life. We can't have a victorious life. And so we just need to pray that the Lord will keep our clothes, the clothes of life, clean. And then a third thing that happens, it happened on the day of Pentecost, if we are ever to love one another deeply from the heart, our hearts have to be pure. And it's only after the Holy Spirit accomplishes that within us. But the third thing is the evidence of communication. Communication. The Bible says, King James said there in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But then read on in verse 8. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard these Galileans speak in their language. So the miracle was not the speaking of the language because they, they really didn't speak the language. They spoke their own language, but they heard it in their language. Have you ever been to church and the preacher preached the message and it was for you? The Holy Spirit said this, he didn't say it out loud, but you knew he was speaking for you. Well, the pastor or the preacher probably had no idea but you heard it that way. It was a miracle of hearing and communication. So they heard in their language and the miracle of tongues on the day of Pentecost really could be described as follows. It says in the scriptures, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Some, however, however, were unable to speak in known languages. Known language. So the gospel be communicated to other people. Do you hear what he's saying here? He gives us power. He gives us power. He gives us holy hearts. And he gives us the ability, using that power and holy heart, to speak, to communicate. God saves us so that we can communicate. And so that sort of defeats that idea that you can be a Christian out here by yourself. He doesn't save you. He does not save us to sit out here by ourselves on the golf course or on the lake and fish or whatever, climbing a mountain or hiking or whatever. He saves us to communicate. So why did God pour out his spirit on the church at Pentecost? Why do believers today still need to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit to get power? Do you have power today? That's the question. Do you receive power? To experience purity, to better communicate to a hurting and dying world, 
And I tell you, this is a hurting and dying world. It's sinful, it's wicked, it's evil, but they need Jesus. And they're not going to get Jesus unless somebody tells them about Jesus. Amen? And it's our job. It's our calling. So this best describes a spirit-filled church. And you can tell if an individual is filled with the Spirit if he displays those characteristics. Which leads to another question. Why should we be filled with the Spirit? I've given you three reasons the church needs to be filled. But a second reason is that we individually need it. Our greatest need, our deepest need, is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this very clear as he writes to the believers in Ephesus. And uh, I think it's on the screen, I believe the pastor fixed it up that way. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, it reads like this. Starting in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. There's not, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like the way it's worded in King James really well. See, Paul says in those same scriptures, 15 through 18, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk. So Paul's answering that question they had on Pentecost Day. They, they're drunk. They must be drunk the way they're acting. Paul said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul here is drawing in a, an antithesis, I guess, antithesis, between being filled with wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, every one of us knows probably what the effects of alcohol are on you. You probably have some friend or neighbor or someone um, that uses alcohol. And we know that the usage of alcohol usually indicates a search for meaning or for happiness. They're searching. They're wanting relief. They want to be happy. And meaning and happiness, we know, can't be found in a bottle. The bottom of a bottle. Or we know what intoxication leads to. Um, broken homes, broken marriages. Debauchery is the way it was determined in Scripture. Contrary to what we see on TV, the way media displays using alcohol. It's so much fun. Party all the time. Look young and trim. Have <clears throat> you ever seen anybody that drinks a lot? They're bodily shape. Not hardly trim, is it? So in contrast, when the Holy Spirit fills a person, <clears throat> this is truth now. There is vitality. There is fulfillment. There is true meaning. There is peace. There is happiness. Amen? 
that's quite a bit different from alcohol, isn't it? One preacher told about his uh, mother testifying that uh, many times about events that led to her uh, fulfillment of the film uh, of the Holy Spirit. He said she was born and raised in a Christian home and his mother was, uh, she accepted Christ at an early age, <clears throat> as a teenager actually. But all through her adult years, she struggled with the sense that there's something more. There's something missing in her life, a lack of power, Holy Spirit, lack of meaning, a lack of completeness, complete satisfaction with her life, a lack of peace. And so one day, a work associate invited her to a revival service at the Church of the Nazarene. And in the service, she heard for the first time a message on entire sanctification. And she found the experience of holiness in her heart, in her life. She testifies, for years I searched for something more. And on the day I was entirely sanctified, my search was over. I found that which I've been looking for all those years. The Holy Spirit satisfies. Amen. He fills us with power and purity. Amen. And he gives us the ability to testify or communicate, to spread the good news. You know, maybe perhaps in our church, many of the problems the church faces or you face as an individual, some of the issues we face are there because we, we're not letting God meet our deepest needs. The removal of the selfish sin nature. Sin is to blame. There's the old song we used to sing, sin is to blame, sin is to blame. Correct me. And that's so true. Sanctification is the answer. I, I know that every person has an inner being, a center from which all life flows. And there, therefore our thoughts and our deeds and our attitudes are all outward manifestations of what's inside our inner self. The heart. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's Proverbs 23, 7. And so it is to this inner self that we need to be very careful. Uh, and we need to direct our attention today. That's the purpose of this whole message. When the heart is pure, all that comes out of the heart will be pure. But if the heart becomes bitter or sour or soiled, what comes out of the heart will also be bitter or sour or soiled. You see, life is lived inside out. Not what we look like entirely. But it's what's down inside. Amen. So the world around us seems to reverse that formula. We're taught on the streets that if we have things right on the outside, you know, right clothes, right car, right money, right account, money account, bank account, right possessions, a right job, right position, then the inside will be happy and peace. That's what the world thinks. But Proverbs 23, 7, that's not true. For the wellspring of life is from within. Within, not without. Think about it. King David and also Solomon had it all. Had money, sex, power, but everything, having everything was not enough. 
if you are to be all God has created you to be and gifted you to be, you have to begin with the heart within. And David knew that. Remember Psalm 51 when he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's Psalm 51.10. That prayer is answered in Christ and we cleanse our hearts. We have to have the inner work of grace, God's grace. I'm talking about the sanctifying power now, keeping the heart pure and clean. That from the wellspring will flow forth that all the joys of the Holy Spirit, hope-filled, spirit-filled life. They tell me about a uh, high up in the Andes Mountains, South America. There begins a little tiny trickle way up in the mountains, a shimmering silver thread of water against the face of the rock there. And it breaks forth from the earth. And as it flows, that trickle becomes a rivulet or a small stream, you might say, dancing down the mountain. Tributaries begin to feed. And it becomes a river, and then it begins to grow in force. Some 3,600 miles later, at its mouth, the great Amazon River spills 180,000 cubic feet of water into the Atlantic Ocean. And they say it's so strong and pure that this river flowing into the Atlantic purifies that ocean water for 60 miles out from the shore. And yet it all started as that little trickle in the mountains of the Indies. But let me share a greater mystery with you on another hilltop, another mountain called Mount Calvary. Jesus was smitten. And from his wounded side flowed a stream of living water that reaches us today. A stream whose force is so great that the pollution of sin within us cannot, can be washed away and we can be forgiven. Max Dupree put it like this. He said, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. We need to change. You know, the Holy Spirit can make a change in us. He can make a change within us. And that's what the church needs today. I think the most dominant need of the church is another Pentecost. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Him so badly. And God, the good thing is, God wishes to display, displace our carnality. The carnality in our lives with power, purity, and love. And he does this by the means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to go back to heaven. But he said, I won't leave you without a comforter. I think about our grandson. He had a special blanket. His comforter. I mean, he didn't want to come and spend the night without that blanket. He didn't want to get in the car and travel very far without his blanket. We need our blankets. We need the Holy Spirit. God has a wonderful gift for us, a glorious provision. He wants to extend to our church today. I want our church to grow and go, don't you? I, we shouldn't be dwindling away and dying out. When one dies, the hole there is not filled. The Holy Spirit wants us to go and grow and become. God is active. 
He wants to sanctify us. And so my question to you and myself today is, are we willing to make the complete commitment? That's the only thing that keeps the Holy Spirit from entering us is our commitment. Are we all out for Jesus? Is your all on the altar? The songwriter said, commitment. God wants to sanctify us today, you and I. And if you're willing, guess what? You're a candidate for the Holy Spirit. The experience of spirit infilling. And God wants to do it. He wants to do it. The only question is, do we want to be filled? He's not going to withhold himself from anybody that gives all himself to God. Amen. I wonder, could we come back to Brother Harold? And I know we don't have it up there. And um, there it is. Uh, man is back there. Come up here, man. Let's sing a little bit of an invitational. I don't know what it is. You're all on the altar. I'm not sure. I think we can sing it. Our Father, we know you said there's uh, power in the word and we've shared the word this morning and we believe you. When you said you want to sanctify us, you want to give us the greatest gift, which is yourself. We believe that word too. And so we ask you, Father, as we tarry just a few moments here, you deal with hearts. And uh, the business of the church. And Lord, we know that uh, you're still in the saving, sanctifying businesses. And this is not something new. But it's the old time salvation story. So Father, as we tarry just a few moments, maybe there'll be one who'd just like to pray and perhaps confess sin or want to make a commitment, a total commitment, a total consecration. We ask you, Lord, in these remaining few moments just to deal with our hearts. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Yes,
and he made a complete sacrifice. That's what a spirit-filled church is. If we're not willing to do that, we may as well close the doors and go home. Right Ichabod above the door. His spirit is departed from me. I don't want that. You don't want to pray? That's all right. You can go home. God bless you. for listening to our podcast today. If you would like to connect with me or Greencastle Church of the Nazarene, you can find us on Facebook at Greencastle Nazarene and also on our website, www.greencastlenazarene.com. May you have a blessed and wonderful day in the Lord.